Hello and welcome to the Dietitian Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jesse McGinley, a registered dietitian who specializes in sports nutrition. The intention of this podcast is to cultivate more conversation and awareness around the field of nutrition and dietetics to elevate the profession as a whole. Conversations will not only be surrounded around the progression of dietetics, but also the mindset shift that occurs with behavior change, how to evolve as a professional within the sports world, how to collaborate amongst an interdisciplinary team, and approaches, perspectives, and research from others in the field. I hope as listeners, you leave each conversation inspired and open to a new perspective. And with that being said, enjoy today's episode. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Dietitian Mindset Podcast. Super excited for this next guest, Jason Wells, Mindset Enhancement Coach. Um, I'll let him kind of talk about his background and what he does. And we're just really excited to have you on, Jason. Um, so yeah, let me let me hear a little bit about your background and, and what you do. I appreciate it. Uh, and I'm honored to be on just listening to the title. Um, obviously I'm mindset. And if you're talking about mindset, that's, that's perfect, perfect alignment. Uh, my story is I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, grew up playing all sports. Uh, basketball was my only competitive sport and went to Indiana state, played overseas for 13 years as a pro. Uh, I had the NBA opportunity that wasn't a part of my story. Uh, and the way that I say it now is actually, I wasn't good enough, you know, which, which, as I'm talking to teams, kind of piques their interest to have somebody share that level of vulnerability. But I mean, that's what it boiled down to. You let me tell it in that time and I'm going to tell you politics and, you know, all of the other stuff that can justify not making it. But the reality of it is, is if I was good enough, then none of that stuff would have played a, a part. Um, so I played professionally from 98 to 2011. In 11, I retired. And for the past 12, now 13 years, uh, it's really been on this journey of literally figuring out who am I now? Who am I as I'm not shooting the ball, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, I did skill development for a while on court. I knew pretty early I never wanted to be a bench coach. I never wanted to do the X's and O's or or deal with parents or playing time. So uh, I did the skill development part of it. Um, worked with some very well-known brands and, and created some really good relationships through that. And, and about six years into that, it became very clear to me that even at that level of quote-unquote elite level talent, I didn't see a whole lot focused on, I guess, what's now called the uh, the holistic development of an athlete. Uh, it was very much managing talent. It was very much, you know, identifying the the obvious ones that were going to be superstars. Um, and I was I, I was never that. I was never good enough to be invited to anything or or had enough money to pay for anything. And so, as some of my friends were going that route, you know, I was the one that was still at the playground. And that's the that's the young man, the young woman, the athlete that I'm attracted to. I'm attracted to the to not the highly recruited, not the highly ranked. Uh, and then in 2018, I started my own, I started this journey of entrepreneurism, um, uh, stepping into this space of kind of creating my own lane. Like, hey, everybody's worried about the development of these athletes on the court, on the field, on the diamond or whatever they do. But I just didn't find a lot of people that were 
as interested in what's happening when they're not on the court. And yeah, here we are five, six years into it now, and I am absolutely loving it. Yeah. You're humble with your intro because you've worked with numerous <laughs> sports teams and organizations around the world, and you've yeah. had a, a giant impact on those that you've worked on. And, and the thing that kind of sticks out to me most out of everything that you said, even though there's a lot, um, yeah. is is the it truly boils down to the mindset outside of whatever sport the athlete is working in and sure. and what that looks like and, and the, the dedication and all of those things. And the bigger question, I know you kind of harp on this in, in, in your book and, and all of the speaking events, but like, who are you outside of it? And you kind of even just hit on it yourself and your own personal journey. Um, sure. Talk to me a little bit about what that looks like and how important that is from an athlete standpoint of, you know, who are you? And most, most, most athletes will be like, well, I'm a soccer player. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, it, it, yeah. It is exactly that point. Um, it is, I think that's what makes me, dare I say, good at what I do, great at what I do, is because at the end of the day, we hear those things about, you know, who, what would you say to your younger self? Like, one, I have a 16-year-old son and a 13-year-old son, so I do get to speak to, quote, unquote, my younger self daily. But also, too, I'm thinking about who I didn't have when when I was an athlete, and and, and it's and it's only... I'm specific about my words, so I don't want to say gotten worse, but it's only magnified. And when I say magnified, I mean um, the level of expectation, the level of tension, the level of pressure, the le- like these levels of those things that are being created in a young athlete's life have only magnified. My dad was a jazz musician. And once he saw that I was going towards athletics, he gave me a pat on the butt and said, I I can't teach you a whole lot, but I'll support you. Um, Now you have, you know, we were talking before we press record. Now you have NIL, you have NIL down on the high school levels. Some states are now talking about it being on the middle school levels. And so now the business of athletics has moved down into, into the youth space of it, but you still have the same lack of financial literacy, the same mindsets, the same, the same habits. And that's, again, I get to speak from my own experience. Like for me, from a financial standpoint, it became really clear to me that it does not matter how much money you make if you don't understand money. And so one of the things that we talk about is putting ourselves in that situation to where I call it the fundamentals of finance. So no, we're not talking about diversified portfolios and and stocks and bonds and all of that. But I do need you to understand credit. I do need you to understand debt. I do need you to understand those things. Um, Because again, cool, you live out all your wildest dreams and now you have access to this money. And and now what? Um, And so, and it goes back to here over my right shoulder, which was the the kind of the the overall bullet point of the book is if we say it's bigger than the game, we say that all the time. It's bigger than the game. It's bigger than the game. Well, if it's so much bigger than the game, then why do we focus so much on the game? Uh, and and being in that part of 100, I don't use a lot of stats, but 100% of athletic careers will end. That's and now what? Who am I? And if my identity is wrapped around, I'm a soccer player, I'm a basketball player, I'm a baseball player, 
it doesn't matter whether you've played professionally for 10 plus years, you're 35 now, 36. And you would hope that there's a heck of a lot more life after that. And now what? And, and you know, the, the Kobe's of the world, which that's a whole nother deal. The LeBron's of the world, the Shaq's of the world. Like we knew that they were going to be okay. And then there's 30 for 30s about the guys who, who haven't been okay. And there's not 30 for 30s about the guys that you've never heard of. Like, I know some of those guys. I know some of those guys that didn't make it to Allen Iverson's status. So he he doesn't have a 30 for 30, but his story is just as detrimental, if not more. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about who am I outside of these lines? Who am I when the ball stops bouncing, kicking, throwing, hitting, whatever it is that you do? Um, because there's a lot more life outside of just the sport of it. Yeah, I. it's funny. I mean, the NIL piece is just, it's going to be, it's going to shift our entire way of sports and sports yeah. culture here in the yeah. next, I mean, it already has, but like, it's sure. just going to magnify. Um, and it's funny that you kind of touched on like, all athletic careers end. And we kind of, we kind of laughed about it. But and when I was in college, I, we did like a senior citizen project, essentially. And so we would go play bingo. And it was me and a yeah. couple other athletes. And, and I played soccer in college. And I was with somebody um, that played basketball. And she was also on the Norwegian, like national team. And so she wore the cool. Norway jacket or whatever from from her from her team back home. But we were there and somebody looked at her and goes, like, are you from Norway? And she goes, yeah, like people don't usually usually recognize. And he's like, oh, I, I skied in the Olympics. And we were sitting across, you know, from from a senior citizen just playing bingo. And he goes, wow. I will tell you, I will tell you one thing. And we were both like just soaking up the knowledge at that point. Yeah. And he goes, no matter how vast your career is, we're all going to be end up playing bingo one day. Wow. And, you know, we didn't know this man from a can of paint. And sure. he's sitting there telling us just about his career and how decorated he was as an athlete, won a gold medal in the Olympics. And yet. We're just sitting in Colorado playing bingo. So, yeah. um, it's one of those things just like, again, I, I don't use a lot of stats, especially dealing with 18 to 23-year-old right. college athletes. And, and, and one of the things, and you, you've heard me say this verbatim, but I'm not here to kill your dreams, bust your bubble. That's, that's not my job. I'm not even here to necessarily be the realist and tell you, oh, only 1%. No, right. no, no. I want, I want you to do everything that you want to do. What I am here to do is to let you know that there's a, a tool set and a skill set that when they tell us as athletes that um, we've got these transferable skills and all like all of that stuff sounds great, but a, most times they don't tell us even what those skills are. And and B, they don't tell us how to use them. And so you and I speaking here as former college athletes, you know, we're using our communication skills. When we met, we used our relationship skills, our ability to be able to connect with people. Like, And because it happens so organically for most of us as athletes, we never identify them as skills. But now imagine I'm in a place to where I'm intentionally moving, knowing that, hey, I communicate better than the majority of people. Or I got relationship skills that I that's probably better than most people. 
uh, or my ability to be able to work on my own as well as work in the part of a, as a part of a group. Like those are those are all transferable yes. skills. Yes. Um, my dad used to tell me, he said, um, everybody, they, they teach us how to climb the mountain, but they don't t- teach us how to get down. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, that's, a, that's a real thing. And, and as I shut up for this part, uh, another stat that I'll use is, I, and I read this somewhere, and I don't even know if it's true, but it sounds good in, in relation to that statement. But um, they say 75% of people who climb mountains die on the way down. So I've put all of this planning into how to climb this mountain, how to climb Mount Everest or Mount Kilimanjaro, whatever. I put all my planning into that. And now I got here and now on the way down, because I didn't put any planning into it, I slip and fall. What? Right. Right. And then just going back to like the, the transferable skills. I mean, before NIL was even a thing and before, you know, it all magnified, you still had to work out. So like it wasn't a contract, but in terms of recruiting and in terms of all of those things, if you were not the you know, most sought out athlete, you had to do the dirty work Absolutely. yourself. You had to cold call college athlete or college coaches, excuse me, back yeah. in the day and be like, yeah. hey, I'm playing at this time and this, whatever. There was no highlight tapes even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You even dated like, yourself by saying tapes. They don't even have tapes. They just upload everything to YouTube right now. Straight, straight off of Synergy. They go from Synergy straight right. to YouTube. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. So now even I can't imagine what it looks like because now it is a contract. Now it is a business sure. deal, like a true business yeah. deal, you know, with the money involvement. Um, and I do want to touch on this because I think this piece is so so important with with college athletes these days, especially if if NIL is a is a factor because it's as you mentioned starting so young. It's the culture of sports, and and this is my view on it, has shifted from a collective to individualism. It's For always sure. been about an individualism. You know, it's always about I want to do this, and this is my goals, and this is my steps to get here. Sure, but now with the 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 magnitude of NILs and the magnitude of the transfer portal, if you're in certain sports, how do you, or what are your thoughts on building a culture of a team with that has such a short amount of time? Um, You know, I work with men's basketball. And so we get a new cycle of guys almost every year, a new team every year. And it's, it's not so much different from any other sport, but um, yeah. How, what is your thoughts on that? How do you how do you go yeah. from individualism to to a collective mindset? It it is um, you know, again, something that you heard me say when when I was up there earlier this season. You know, commit to the cliche. So we we have these cliches, especially through sports. Trust the process and get out your comfort zone and all these things that sound great. Um, and I think about something that across the board coaches used to share back in the day, which is you're not playing for the name on the back of the jersey, you're playing for the name on the front of the jersey. And I think, I don't know if that's applicable anymore. Uh, um, Just going into your question, because now, shoot, the name on the front of the jersey changes every year for some of these athletes. Um, and, And so am I really playing for the name on the front of the jersey? And, and and then I think it's also too more importance of 
the education of the business side of it. Again, it's get, it's getting younger and younger. And so having athletes understand the business side of athletics, like, like this is a, this is a business. And even in college now, literally with money, but you know, even before when you're talking scholarship, Hey, if you're not taking your side of the business, then we're going to have to renegotiate this relationship. Right. Um, but as far as the collective and the individual piece, Gosh, Jess, I, I really feel like it puts, we're going to start to see who can really coach mm-hmm. and, and not from a win-loss standpoint, who yeah. can really coach from a, a principle-driven standpoint? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, I know you're in lands where you can't really talk about other schools, but, but hey, Coach K, I, I'm never been a Duke fan, ever been a Duke fan. And as I started to grow into my own maturity and, and, and especially be in this space. So now, you know, we're talking his last three or four years of coaching, five years of coaching where I really started to pay attention to him. Um, there's no way that you're going to tell me that he coached Tommy Amaker and Jay Billis in the early eighties, the same way as he coached Zion Williamson and Jason Tatum in the two thousands. Like there's no way. Uh, And I'm talking literal how I coach. But if there's one thing that I know about him from studying him, from reading him, his principles stayed the same. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's a military guy. So his principles of respect, discipline, work ethic, attitude, like those stayed the same. Now, what morphed and credit to him is his procedures in which he delivered those principles. And so like one of the things that I speak about is cling to the principles, but modify the procedures. The procedures can change. So we can't, and I know you're younger than me, but you know, I walked into practice gyms and we got called everything short of a son of God for, for any reason. Uh, you, as coaches, you can't necessarily do that nowadays or, or you better have a hell of a relationship that allows you to be able to do that. Right. One of the two. Um, but yeah, so so being in this this place where my principles stay the same, I'm going to see one of my close friends later tonight. Um, they're playing here in Atlanta, and he's telling me in a 15-minute conversation, Jay, man, this is unreal. The, the stuff that these dudes are doing to coach, like blatant disrespect, blatant, like open in front of everybody, not in the office. This is in, mm-hmm. like, it, it's... I can't even fathom things like that happening. And it's almost kind of at that point. Imagine this. Imagine being a young, a child, knowing that you can do and say whatever you want to without any repercussions. Right. And I think that's what we're dealing with from an athletic space. Like, what what you going to do? Right. There's nothing you can do. Oh, you want to sit me down? Okay, cool. I'll leave. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, what, or whatever. Yeah. So. I think right. um, going back and, and answering the question directly, I think we're going to start to see across the board, across sports, across gender. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to start to see the coaches that are truly rooted in principles and values. And I think those are going to now equate to the wins. And then, of course, you'll have the occasional, hey, we either cheated our way to the top or we finagled our way to the top and we won a couple ball games and it's not rooted in those things. But I think that's going to become the separator is now who's coaching in principles and values. 
Yeah. I mean, even just translating that to just leadership, even in the corporate world or in a, yeah. in a hierarchy standpoint, you know, I think it, it just, that is the, the culture shaper, <laughs> your consistency yeah. with your values and your principles and teaching the, whoever you're coaching or whoever you're leading that there's no negotiables. Like, yeah. you know, like bringing back your, your, your child analogy, like if the kid doesn't have boundaries, whatever age. Then what? Then what? <laughs> right. Know? Exactly. It's like, who knows? But if you, if you set the expectations early and you do not waver in that and there's accountability and all of those things involved, I think, I think you're exactly right. I think it, it will, it'll be very glaring. I sure. guess. And sure. in terms of that, um, and then it kind of trickles even to su support staff. So even, and my role as a dietitian, um, my my role is is huge on on building trust and be building connection and all of those things. And I I'm going to be very vulnerable that I I rush those things. You know, with a new yeah. cycle of team, I'm like, okay, this worked really well last year. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing it. And it's like, wait a sec. Oh yeah, Wait a sec. You are. Yeah. <laughs> pump the brakes a little bit. Um, yeah. So just kind of building off that, that question, how do you, how do you build trust with a new group every year, whether it be, you know, from a dietitian standpoint or from, you know, even a leadership standpoint or even from your standpoint, yeah. like working yeah. with the teams that you do. It is, um, I mentioned my dad and I, and I talk about my dad a lot. You know, I, I turned 47 a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and in my, he passed away when I was 26. So it's been over 20 years now since he's passed away. Um, and one of the things that I speak about is in the 20 years since he's been passed, but I, I can go back to shoot as early as seven, eight of him saying things that, um, were, were super organic for him. And again, he was a musician, he wasn't an athlete. And so, um, even in even in his parenting of me coming up through sports, and one of the things that I say is that he coached my character. He never coached my stats. It was never you should have made that layup. You should have made that free throw. It was, hey, man, after you missed that layup and you got taken out of the game and you just walked down to the end of the bench and didn't get your coach five, didn't get your teammates five. Like, no, nah, that ain't that ain't what we do. You know what I mean? It, it was always that. Um, and, and I share that to come back to. Um, one of the things that that he told me growing up was was just being in this place of um, understanding that the relationship has to be strong enough to bear the weight of the truth. Mm -hmm. And so even in you asking that question, many of us start with the trust part of it, which is very, very important. And if we're taking that quote, the relationship comes before that. And mm -hmm. so, especially in these short times, and I, you know, all the great coaches, and, and you, we, we can name them across the board, but if you boil all of those things down, you can start with wins because that's what everybody talks about. You can start with championships and then you can boil it down to whatever you want to. But when you come down to the core of, of the roots of what's going on, They've got phenomenal relationships with their players, phenomenal relationships. And so uh, I think another one, even talking about Coach K again, the shift. I remember 
He was one of the last college coaches back in the 90s and in my era, 90s, 2000s, to take junior college transfers. Like he was straight four-year guys. Like, and mm-hmm. so the shift of now, I form and grow and, and create relationships based in these principles and values. And now it's happening over the course of eight months instead of over four years. Right. But again, the principles don't change. Right. And, and right. so, you know, for you, for me, that's why it's so important that, you know, I'm having conversations and interactions that are outside of the pressures of the sport or um, outside of like, I want, hey, man, what, what, what'd you do this weekend? That what was the fun, the most fun thing you did this weekend? Or um, tell me a little bit about your family. Like it, it's those things. And now all of a sudden, when I'm not scoring the points, I'm not playing the minutes, we're not getting the wins. Now all of a sudden, there's a relationship that allows them to feel more comfortable saying, Coach J, man, you know, I'm really struggling right now. Right. Or Jess, um, you know, I stress eat when, right. <laughs> you know, when things aren't going my way. But it, but those things are only going to happen once there's a relationship that allows those things to happen. The truth is heavy. Oh, yeah. The truth is heavy. So, oh, yeah. again, if I'm going back to my dad, having a relationship that's strong enough to bear the weight of the truth, because the truth is heavy. If we lead with truth and there's no relationship, most times it's going to go in one ear and out the other or, you know, something along those lines. And But, yeah, if there's a relationship, now I can say, hey, you still want to do this? Is this still what you want to do in life? Well, then the way that you're eating right now probably is going to make it real difficult for you to get there. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Or even the, the, I, I laugh at myself cause I give the guys like we call it cramp juice and everybody has their own variation of it across the board in the sports nutrition world. And yeah. off the bat, it was, you know, bought in, I, I let it up. I had a huge progression over eight months last season. And then this new group, I was like, okay, here's the cup. And they're like, I'm not, who are you? Like, I'm not drinking yeah. that. And then, yeah. but it took the, How's your family? How and not just doing that in motive to get them to take or sure. behave in a certain way that obviously will help them perform. It was genuinely, I care about you, and yeah. I think that's a huge piece. And I think that's yeah. why you are so successful in in all of the teams that you work with because it's a genuine drive for connection and genuine yeah. care for the athletes and the yeah. individuals that you that you work yeah. with. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just kind of shifting into that, I kind of touched on it and it's, it's kind of the same, the same question, but even just how do you approach when you first start working with a team? Yeah. <laughs> you just going to stop there. No lead up or nothing. Nope. Huh? No, there you go. There you go. How do you first, how do you um, first introduce yourself? How do you first approach it? How do you, you know? Huh? Yeah. And, and so here we go. So much of this stuff is my natural personality, my natural skill set, my natural passion and and experience. Um, But one of the things that I, even from an introduction, since you mentioned that, one of the first things I share with a team is like, hey, I'm I'm not here to say, listen to me because look what I've done. Um, And very intentionally, it's not look what I've done, it's see where I've been. I'm here, it's why I go back to even the title when we were joking before about motivational speaker enhancement coach. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's that. Like at the end of the day, I'm just sharing my story. I'm not here to motivate you. I don't want that kind of responsibility, especially now that I'm in this paid space. Like I get paid to produce. I get paid to perform. And if you hire me to motivate and that's not what I do, then I haven't done my job. Right. And so that goes back to the intentionality of that. But for me, it's, it's, it's a sharing of my experience that's going to create a space that allows the people in that room, whether it's the team, whether it's the staff, whether it's the immediate coaching staff to, to pick up in whatever form that resonates to them. Yeah. Period. Um, and I also from, from, and again, you, you kind of saw this and, and it was even still a little bit expedited if I'm using big words. Um, I, I have them do the, the actual team. I have them do connection exercises where mm-hmm. I got a couple different things that I do, whether it's best day, worst day, perfect day, or hero, hardship, highlight, like different things to where we get to not talk about our sport. And when you start hearing somebody talk about best day, worst day, perfect day, it creates a space for me to be able to say, dang, I, I have no idea Jesse went through that. Absolutely. And it, <laughs> just for some context, we did this as an entire staff, entire team. And I even went through it. I even was like, wow, this is, this is going to require some vulnerability right now. Yep. You know, and it, yep. it does create that space. I even reflected on that question after the team retreat, like, oh, shoot, like, what is yeah. my perfect, you know, like, what <laughs> is my, like, why was that so hard in that moment? And it takes such a, an, a vulnerability and you created it so organically. Um, so, yeah. And I think that's a huge piece that you can't just, Hey, I'm here to motivate you. And if you don't do it, we're not going to do it. It's like so many people are turned off by that. And we'll just be yeah, like, Nope, I am not listening. Motivation to me sounds like, and this, literally this is what I think to myself. So if you're, if I'm being hired as a motivational speaker, it's, I come in, I talk for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, whatever length of time it is. I get my check. I walk out the door. The the people in the group that I'm talking to feel great in the moment. And as soon as they walk out the door, it's palms in the air. Like, well, what what do I do now? Like, I feel good in that moment. And here's the thing, Jess. Some people, I would even say most people want that. They want that. That make me feel good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can check the box and say we did it. And that's the intentional um, vision and mission of of my business is, yeah, I'm more open to keynotes now because Mm -hmm. I understand that keynotes kind of open the door for the relationship. But I've been, I'm just now kind of in that space. I've been the one to kind of shy away from the keynotes because, hey, I want the relationship. I I, want to create this ongoing thing that we get to grow and know each other, not just feel good for the, the hour and 15 minutes that we're together. Um, and then you mentioned vulnerability, uh, courage. I love Brene Brown and I love how she specifically for, for us men, um, you know, kind of challenged those words like vulnerability and courage. Like they're mm-hmm. basically synonyms, but you know, I hear people talking about, um, you know, creating a safe space. Yes, that happens. And I personally don't think that it's something that we have to announce. I don't have to announce. Never once did you hear me say, this is a safe space for you to share whatever. I think 
you know, it comes from me. I share vulnerability rather quickly in our experiences. Um, but then also too, you can feel that. Like you, you heard me talk about values. We don't have to, yeah, we don't have to have our values posted on the wall everywhere. When I walk into an environment, an organizational environment, I can feel what the values are. I don't need to see them anywhere. You, you, Mm -hmm. we talked about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A doesn't have customer service posted everywhere, but when you go to Chick-fil-A, you feel, oh, customer service is really important for them. And and so I, I make this joke about, um, you know, people saying, I'm grown, I'm grown, I'm grown. Like, if you're grown, you don't have to tell me you're grown. Show me you're right. grown. And if this is a safe space, I don't have to tell you that it's a safe space. It's a safe space because you feel like it's a safe space. And so I think this is where we're going. Um, just like anything with the, the bell curve, you, you've got the people who are all in before there's any proof. You got the people who... Okay, cool. I see a little bit and, and now I'm here. And then you got the people that are, okay, finally, I'll, I'll get an iPhone finally because everybody <laughs> else got one. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, across the board, I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it's, it's the non announcing is huge. I think it's just the authenticity of, Whatever you bring to the table, even when I see athletes or clients individually, it's not like you just said it because I don't want that as a person. Like, I don't want to walk in an office and be like, hey, this is a safe space you can share. I'm like, wait, guards are up. (laughs) Why are you telling me that? Like, (laughs) so, so it's, it's an art, I think, to, to create that space. And and from your standpoint, even from a, a group setting, you know? Um, yep. so tailoring it. Cause in a group setting, it's hard. You got, like you said, the bell curve, the, the 30, 30, 30, like the 30% yep. that's not going to listen, the 30% that's going to be yep. locked in and the 30% that's going to take it and run with it. And, and um, for me, it's so important that knowing that, mm-hmm. and actually my numbers are, are even different than that. I work in two and 98, mm. 2% and 98%. So I'm a matrix fan. Um, you know, and, and there's a reason why there was only, you know, a half dozen people on the ship because Morpheus very clearly said most people, this was so amazing. Most people aren't ready and some people don't even want to. One of my favorite lines from that movie was when Cypher was with the agent and he ate the steak and he's like, I know this steak isn't real. I know it's not real. Right. But sometimes ignorance is bliss. And so when I walk into those environments, it's not even 30, 30, 30 for me. It's, hey, 2% of people are going to pick up and ready to, 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 to be in a space that I'm in and 98% aren't. And I find myself focusing on the two, not the 98. Because if I focus on the 98, I'm going to get frustrated really quickly. Hey, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be who I need to be. I'm going to be the sun. And for the people who want either the heat from the sun or the light from the sun or the energy from the sun, I'm going to be exactly that. But I'm also not going to focus on the person who has sensitive skin and, and, and dim my light because they have sensitive skin, but somebody absolutely needs and wants the light from it. I, I, right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's important in that space. I mean, it's, it's the quote of you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world and there's still going to pe- people that hate peaches <laughs> yep, no and doubt. it's also speaking a little bit like 
all of that kind of brought to mind, like the attachment of the outcome as, you know, a mind mindset mm. enhancement coach, as a dietitian, all of these things, like if I focused on the 90 for your 98% on even just the numbers, the, the statistics of who's going to listen to my lecture today, yeah. all of that wrapped up in my ego and wrapped up into yeah. success. It kind of points back to your purpose and your why. So in my mind, but I would love to hear your, your mindset on that. Yeah. Um, I, I, gosh, I do my best not to work in absolutes, but I'm going to use one here. Like I never talk about outcome. Never. Right. Um, I, I never, if I'm talking to a coach or a leader of an organization, never am I going to say, this is you working with me is going to equal this amount of wins or this percentage in, in, you know, profit mark. Never, never. Um, and I think we live in a performance-based world. Again, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but for me, when I say performance, and, and, and I don't know if you remember, but I have these three Ps, people, purpose, and performance. So for me, that's everything is going to boil back down to those three things. People goes back to the relationship that we spoke about a few minutes ago. Um, purpose. Now that I'm, I know myself and I know the people that are around me, why are we doing what we're doing? What's the reason? What's the goal? What's the mission? Uh, and then the performance for me is not attached to wins, losses, or profit margin, but it's attached to this constant pursuit of improvement. This constant pursuit of enhancement, elevation, growth, whatever. I don't care what word you use. Um, it's that. It's the Mamba mentality. Like most people don't even know that Mamba mentality has five pillars. And but when you break it down and you listen to Kobe talk, it's very much like Kaizen. Uh, one of the teams that I work with, my alma mater, Indiana State, and the head coach, that's his word, is Kaizen. And and Mamba mentality and Kaizen mean the same thing. It's a constant pursuit of daily improvement. Mm. And when, when I'm moving towards a constant pursuit of daily improvement, I look up and I find myself still playing on the first weekend in March. I find myself, right. Right. you know, in, in the conference tournament championship, I find myself you, like, so the results, the, the outcome results that we so often go for actually happen once we start to go through the process of knowing the people, knowing the purpose and working to its consistent daily improvement. Yeah. And then it's if you simple, get the whole... not easy. No. And it, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not the keynote speaker. It's, it's the daily yeah. mindset shift. It's not the instant gratification. And I think going back to even the NIL talk, I think, you just kind of hit it on the nail on the head in, in my mind. Like if you have a group of people committed to every day, I'm going to get better. It then kind of merges into that's the culture. And then we're going to make it through March. Sure. Like we're going to, sure. we're going to be standing. Um, sure. But so last kind of question to kind of wrap up this conversation. Um, would love to hear your insight on how you work with people. And we kind of just hit on it, but like, you are working with people with the closest, like the mind that's closed off, the yeah. most closed-minded people, clients, athletes, coworkers, anything. How how do you navigate that? That's a phenomenal question. So from a verbiage standpoint, I make it really clear, whether it's um, 
the real time situation is is a as a minor. He's only 17. So I'm talking a lot to his parents for, you know, legal reasons and things like mm-hmm. that. Um but but across the board, I make it very clear that I'm only working with people that want to do the work. If mm-hmm. you're not open to doing the work, then I'm not your guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say the work, it goes back to what we just talked about. It's the daily constant pursuit of improvement. And right. if that's not what you're after, I, I'm very quickly. Cool. Now, mm-hmm. I ain't going to give you no refund. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, Just throwing that business out there. But but at the same time, like, and, and here's the thing, though, Jess. I've come to the conclusion that my level of clarity in verbalizing that also becomes attractive to the 2% and like I'm, I'm, I'm appalled by the 98%. So if we use a buzzword like authenticity, one of the things that I share is like authenticity is either appealing or appalling. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about the people that show up in authenticity, People either love them or hate them. And and just to throw some names out, what, whether you love them or hate them as individuals, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. he's authentic. People either love him or hate him. Uh, Kanye West, people either love him or hate him. And now I'm, I'm even throwing like somebody like Coach Prime in there. Like people either love him or hate him. But, but those people show up in their authenticity and in showing up in their authenticity, create a space that allow people the choice to say, Hey, I rock with you or I don't. And mm-hmm. and that's what I do. Um, so I'm not the last thing that I'm ever going to do is try to open a closed mind. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. That is not my job. My just like it, when I was on the court, I used to I'm not here to teach you basketball. I'm here to in, to develop your skills. So if you don't know how to dribble a basketball, it's another camp over there for you. It's another person over there for you. And that's with all due respect. That's not right. what I do. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm in a situation currently to where we had our initial conversation, which was kind of more touchy feely, you know, hey, let's get to know each other. And then the second conversation, and you heard me use this phrase, I held the mirror. I, I like literally I do this where which represents holding up a mirror and what I know about what I refer to as mirror moments. Many times when people look in the mirror, they're not upset at what they see in the mirror. They're upset at either who's holding or actually the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like that, you're wrong. You're mad at the wrong things. <laughs> and it goes back to the work, the work, the work. And I'm again, very clear. I shared that with the young man's father. Like, hey, I could care less whether or not I work with your son and your family. And I mean that with all due respect and very important what I'm about to say next. I'm not about to alter who I am, not what I do. Mm-hmm. What I do, whatever, that's irrelevant. But I'm not about to alter who I am to cater to somebody who's not willing to do the work. So if you want to be more focused on his athletic career mm-hmm. and not focused on his personal development, so be it. Right. Because all from my experience, what I know is I want all his dreams and, and goals to come true. But if he's not in a mindset that's going to allow him to be able to to sustain that, I just pray to God it's not catastrophic. Um right. I, I have um 
plug is I'm finalizing um, a piece of content that'll be delivered across the board that is titled um, WIN, W-I-N. And the subtitle is Developing a Professional Mindset Through an Athletic Lens. Mm. And so that's the now the phrase that I'm kind of starting to use is, is this professional mindset. Everybody's concerned about being professional athletes. Very few people actually know that there's a mindset associated with that. And in that, I'm talking about those transferable skills that we spoke about earlier. It's the consistency. It's punctuality. Like I'm still you. We joked about it while I was there. You know, Kay Ridge and I are are 50 years old and we're still like pissed off because the bus left three minutes before. Like I'm being, being late for the bus is not something I do. It's just not. <laughs> and, and where does that come from? That comes from the professional mindset of Absolutely. punctuality is important. Respecting somebody's time is important. And so, you know, even I'm, I'm feeling a certain kind of way texting you like, damn, I guess two fifteen. you know what I mean? Like it, it's those things. It's the consistency. It's the mindset. It's the habits that we do. Absolutely. Those things are professional mindset to where if I make it in sports, great. But when I don't, mm-hmm. or when it's over, now I have this professional mindset and this set of habits and skills that I can lean on right. that allow me to go be great in anything else I do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it. all I hear is just unwavering authenticity. If I were to create buzzwords <laughs> from that and just not, not changing who you are and, and remaining core or remaining kind of strong in your values and your principles and, and preaching that and meeting people where they are, honestly, that kind of what it, <laughs> Sounds like it boils down you're saying, to you're all the cliches right now. I like, know, I know. Let me, let me ask I, you this. But like you said, I gotta live in the cliche. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you say role reversal, I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay. Let's <laughs> when you say you have to know what your values are, mm-hmm. not per number, but like percentage or or feel. How many people do you know, or do you think not know, but do you think actually know their values to even know what it is they stand on Mm. the role reversal is real um in terms of (laughs) in terms of percentage i don't know if i could quantify that but i don't think i I think most people would it be a high number or a low number i think it'd be a low number if i'm if i'm if i'm being honest i think a lot of people pull value and worth from the wrong areas to then it kind of skews the alignment of their values. So if, if you, I mean, going on everything that you, you kind of stand on, knowing your why, knowing your purpose outside of what you do, who are you? I think a lot of people don't have or haven't done the work to really look in the mirror and be like, who am I? What are my values? What do I stand on? What's my, you know, code of principles I live by every day. So in terms of that answer, yeah, I don't know if I could quantify it, but I, it would definitely be a low, low number. And that's kind of why we have so many cliches and, <laughs> and so many motivational speakers, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> and instant yeah. gratification tools. And, you know, the culture is kind of shifting to a, a quick fix. You see it across the board, whether it's sports or outside of sports. So, And I, and I, I share, um, you know, I'm, I'm visual. Um, and, and, and kinesthetic. I need to see it and I need to do it. But yeah. I share this thing of, hey, the people that, that want to work with me and that I want to work with, A, they're doing big work, mm-hmm. the big work. And, and big work is, is 
relevant to taking these small daily steps. Um, but the other thing is, if I'm putting it into medicinal terms, hey, I don't want people that want painkillers. I want people who want to take vitamins. Absolutely. And and that's what we do. We live in a culture right now where people are taking pain pills to cover up and not talk about what's actually the root of what's going on because I can take this cortisone shot if I'm talking athletics or I can do this quick fix, but that's not getting to the root of what's going on. Like I want to take vitamins that are going to give me, I want to go to Whole Foods and yes, I might pay $2 more for a head of lettuce, but I know where it was grown and, and I'll pay for it up front rather than pay for the physical <laughs> that, that of not being healthy in, in those years. And so, yeah, I, I'm give me the vitamins over the painkillers any day. Right. It's, it's all, um, the culture is, is more reactive than preventative in, in every, yeah. in every case, because you can't ne necessarily see the preventative. You can't see those sure. measures that you take and you can't see the work that you do every day, the little, the little steps, you know? Um, but Jason, it's been a pleasure <laughs> ending on that note, um, ending on the, on the role reversal question. Um, I do want to give you like, where can people find your work, find your book, find your programs, find your offerings? Yep. What was the best way to um, find that? Yeah, thanks. Book, book is on Amazon. So the title of it, and actually I'm going to now start to say first book because second book is in the works. Um, so first book is called, the, <laughs> thank you, the things we know, but do not do. Um, it's on Amazon. If you spell my name correctly, you can find me pretty much anywhere. So it's J-A-Y-S-O-N. W-E-L-L-S and um, very new, actually, even bef just before you and I jumped on to record, um, the team and I are kind of rebranding what's going on. And so um, I'm in this place where I'm, I'm utilizing the word play a lot and inviting people into a space of play. And, and play for me right. is this equation of curiosity, exploration and imagination. And so if I'm in a place where I'm asking questions and I'm exploring what's going on and using my imagination, um, yes, it takes you back to kind of like this five, six year old, which is exactly what I want to do, because that's when we used to ask questions that we didn't care whether or not it made us look cool or uncool or whether it was right or it or not right. And so um, the website is now it's, it's live now and we're building it as it goes, but it's jasonsplayground.com. So. That's Again, awesome. J A Y S O N, Jason's with an S, playground.com. And um, everything else is on there. Social media is also Jason's Playground. Um, and, and yeah, if you, you, you're ready to get some work and do some work, let's work. <laughs> In, incredible. Um, well, everyone listening, I appreciate your ears. I appreciate your time. Jason, I appreciate your time. Um, and then we will, we will catch you next episode. Thanks so much.